Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation. Welcome to this month's GPS Training Podcast. It's our 39th episode. With the current lockdown in the UK, we're create, currently creating two podcasts per month rather than our usual one. On this month's podcast, we again have Ian joining me. So welcome, Ian, to this month's GPS Training Podcast. Hi, John. So, Ian, I think this is going to be our last month of two podcasts a month. I don't know what your thoughts are, because I think we'll have a one in July, and then as we get into August, I think we'll be delivering course again, won't we? Well, let's fingers well, crossed we should be. Fingers crossed, yes. As I say, even see what happens with our course at the end of July in Northamptonshire. Cross yes. fingers. Yes. So, yeah, yes, then... back to one podcast. Strange, really, isn't it, in some ways, that we've... Hopefully we're getting out the other side of all of this, really. Yeah, and for our July podcasting, um, we've got a special guest joining us. Come on. <laughs> I read the notes. I read the notes last night, and I, I thought, well, I wonder who that is. <laughs> well, we're going to get Andy back, so we're going to do a threesome pod. A threesome. That's a bit naughty, isn't it? Three of us on a podcast <laughs> with Andy's going to come back and have a, a three-way conversation. Andy, oh, people might know, was on the first ever GPS training podcast. And it's going to be a good year and a half since he's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, uh, but he, He's currently furloughed from his current job, so he said, if you want me to come on the right. podcast, that'd be brilliant. So let's get a date to the oh, diary, and we'll get the fantastic. three of us around, and uh, yeah, for old time's yeah. sake, and we'll yeah. catch up. And uh, yeah, and uh, he's still as enthusiastic as ever about whatever yes. his latest watches on his wrist. So yeah, what we like to hear. We've got that for our July edition, uh, which will be slightly different, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy. So. Because we've just got one podcast in July, I suspect we might have a, a slightly longer one with Andy involved rather than two yeah. separate ones. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. So, without further ado, let's get on today with today's podcast. In this month's podcast, we have a chat with Adam, Adam Redshaw, the geocaching guy. And then we're going to look at the inaccuracies of some map scales, very much relating to when we're planning our routes um, and navigating them on an outdoor GPS unit or a GPS watch. And then we have Ian's FAQs, the frequently asked questions Ian gets asked while supporting our customers. The next thing on this month's GPS training podcast is a chat with Adam Redshaw. Adam is the geocaching guy. So welcome, Adam, to the GPS training podcast. Hi, John. Thanks for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. Whereabouts in the country are you, Adam? I'm anywhere that I want to be. I've got a car and will travel, but at the minute I'm stuck right in the middle of the, the UK in Coventry. Okay, right. Very good. And what's the weather like in Coventry today? It must be glorious sunshine is it we we've had glorious sunshine for the last few days so i've been out found some geocaches caught the sun uh today it's a little bit overcast and a few showers which is nice and cool so uh, i'll go out later good so you are the self-processed geocaching guy and i know in the past our paths have crossed because uh you have run a geocaching magazine so i suppose really Geocaching, first of all, let's just go all the way back to basics. I know we've covered geocaching before on the podcast, but some people might be listening for the first time. What is geocaching, Adam, and um, how, how, yeah, what does it involve? It's, it's basically, it's a GPS-based treasure hunt. The, the, the treasure is in the, the experience and the memories that it creates, not necessarily what you're going to find. So if you're expecting to go out with your GPS and go and find a load of gold, sorry geocaching isn't that if you're expecting to go out and have a lot of fun 
to find amazing locations that you've never been to before. It could be waterfalls, it could be underground military bunkers, or it could just be a 35mm film canister in a hollow tree. Geocaching is just a brilliant, fun way to get outside, explore all over the world, really. And any of our listeners, which the majority of them will have handheld GPS units, any handheld GPS unit will do, uh, and they can get away and, and do it, can't they? Yeah, pr- pretty much any you know, GPS hand unit w- will do that for you. It is worth staying away, dare I say this, from some of the entry-level ones, such as like the, the E-Trex 10. It's nice to have something that's got a little bit of a, a map on it, a little bit of a colour map. It will give you a much better user experience and you're much more likely to continue and to, to do it successfully. Brilliant. That's a little bit over geocaching. Now, you... What's your background in geocaching? How long have you been geocaching for? And a little bit about the magazine and yeah, what what we're what you're doing like going forward. Okay. Well, I started geocaching in 2008. Back then, I had uh, a fairly sensible corporate job, which was very very stressful. And because it was so stressful, my hair started falling out because of alopecia. So I took to the outdoors for my mental health and a bit of sanity. And somebody says, have you heard about this thing called geocaching? You might like it. You go and look for Tupperware boxes in hollow trees. And I thought, I've got problems with my mental health already. <laughs> Looking for Tupperware boxes in hollow trees? Yeah, no thanks. But I, I had one of those nights where I couldn't sleep very well. So I went out at two o'clock in the morning with a um, a car sat nav because I could put the coordinates in, um, no proper mapping or anything like that. Went out at two o'clock in the morning with a car sat nav and a torch and found my first geocache. Fast forward to where we are now. I'm just short of 4,000 caches. I'm one of the near enough the top 2,000 caches in the UK. I got into the hobby and I wanted to learn more about it. So I did what most people do, went to WH Smith to buy a magazine. Other shops were available, other geocaching magazines weren't. So um, I, with no graphic design skill, no publishing skill, I launched my own magazine, which I managed to get into the shelves of WH Smiths. Um, Unfortunately, it's not there anymore for a number of reasons. We're we're looking at just going to a, a digital version but off the back of that, because I was known as the, the editor of the magazine, I, I became the geocaching guy. So I was getting people like Simon Mayo ringing me up and, and speaking to me about geocaching on his show. I got asked to go and help the Gadget Show do a feature about GPS units and geocaching. And, you know, I, I helped the YHA and the National Trust and everyday people get into geocaching and find out all the wonderful benefits, physical health, mental health, and community that there are to it, in a nutshell. Fantastic. So how many caches then on a, a weekly basis do you, do you tend to find? Is it something you do every day, or is it something you do once a week? Or And, and do you have a little target? Is it a bit of a obsession? Well, it sounds like a bit of an obsession, to be honest. <laughs> um, for some, it's much more of an obsession than it is for me. Um, now that they've relaxed some of the restrictions on what we're allowed to do out outdoors and, and socialising, I'm, I'm certainly finding a lot more. I, I go out three, four times a week, and I might find 15, 20 a day when I go out and do that. 
Fantastic. And then what units um, are you using to, to, to go caching? I, I know you've got multiple units because I've met you on many occasions at mega events and uh, you've always got plenty of GPS units in your pocket. What, what, what's your unit of choice? Well, it, it depends where I am, really. Sometimes I just like the simplicity of caching on, on the fly. So I've got one of the Garmin Oregon 700 series, mm-hmm. which you know, I, I can link into my phone as a hotspot and I, I can you know, download geocache information then and there. I could use my phone to do that, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to get the quality of the Ordnance Survey mapping and the ruggedness that you're going to get with a quality GPS. So I tend to have that as my go-to, but I'm a little bit getting on a bit now and I ought to be wearing glasses. So I must admit, I do prefer the bigger screen on some of the, the older Montana series. Mm-hmm. So using the um, Montana 600 or 610, is it that you've got? Um, I think it's the 600. It's, right. it's quite an old one now. Mm-hmm. And we didn't mention earlier on, uh, before we came on air that you, you did have a Montero as well. So Montero, if people don't know, is it a classic GPS because it was actually an Android operating system, Garmin GPS unit, uh, which we used to sell very, very well at the, um, at, at the mega, at the geocaching event because you could put the app directly onto that unit, couldn't you? Yeah, you, you, not only could you put the app, but you could also get your social media accounts, pretty much a smartphone, but without the phone element to it. Mm-hmm. Which went really well. Yeah, it never just captured the, I, sp- it, I say the geocache is liked, but the, the, in, in the normal world of, of walkers, I think because you then had to put another app on it, it never really captured people's imagination to that same extent, did it? No. Brilliant unit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to the gadget show, Adam. This sounds fascinating. Emmy says I've been on the gadget show. I've got to dive into that a little bit more. So, gadget show story. What? So you're testing GPS units, the best GPS units uh, for geocaching. Where Where were you filming? Uh, what units were you doing? And which one won? Uh, how, well, how long ago, first of all? Because then that kind of puts the whole thing into context in regards to GPS units. Okay. Well, it was probably about five years ago now so quite quite mm-hmm. a while ago um back then i was involved with the geocaching association of great britain so that they sort of had a, a media inquiry contact um yeah I, I i volunteered so pretty much at the drop of a hat i drove from coventry down to a park in in gloucester mm-hmm. and we were down there and um john was the the presenter at the time or, or certainly for the, the one that we did and I, I was sort of walking behind camera, sort of giving various prompts. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they actually, I think, used a, a smartphone more than a, a GPS at that point. Right. Because they were trying to show how accessible it was. But they went on to talk about different GPSs and how you can get sort of entry-level ones for about £100 and how they go up to five, £600. So uh, they, they, they talked more about geocaching and, and the technology of that than mm. the GPS side of things. I bet that was a day. Those are really days to remember, aren't they? You, know, you must have thought, oh, this is this is good fun. So actually seeing the technology of that a programme like that being filmed as well must have been good fun. Yeah, you, you think, you know, that really high-end stuff, but a lot of it is on things like GoPros and things. It, it's really quite interesting to see how 
little they needed to put on such a good show. But they were a big team there, and they were doing all sorts of other things. I think they were playing. Um, there was like a Nerf gun thing that they were doing. And there was Zorb football. And there was loads going on, not not just the geocaching. Fantastic, so good stuff. So going back to geocaching, um, we've got different types of cache, aren't there? So there's different types of cache people can look for. What are the main categories of caches that when when you're geocaching that 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 people can look for? Okay, so the the most popular one is what they call a traditional geocache. So if you're looking at um, an app or if you're using a, a GPS and you're downloading a pocket query, these are the ones that look like a little green box, a little green Tupperware box, and they work pretty much as a line of sight. It gives you a, a distance and an arrow to follow, and they will literally take you straight to whatever it is that you're trying to find. And when you're there, depending on where you go, you might have 10, 12, 20 feet accuracy with the GPS. So you've really got to start thinking like a geocacher. Where would you hide something? If you need it, there's a bit of a hint. So it might say, you know, base of tree, under style. So if you want to, to do it easier, you can do, or you can spend ages trying to, to find it without looking at the hint. Fantastic. And what what's the next step up really then from that? The next step up from, from that would perhaps be a multi-cache. So this is where you need to start interacting with the places that the GPS takes you to. So it might take you to a graveyard, and in the graveyard you've got to check the dates that a particular person you know, was born, when they passed away, how many letters there are in the name. So you have to read the information that it takes you to. And from there, you do some fancy algebra, mathematical magic to turn the, the information you've got into a new set of coordinates, which you put into the GPS as a new waypoint. And then that takes you on to either the second stage or the third. There could be multiple stages, and then it will take you off to ultimately find what it is that you've got to look for. And we're getting all these from geocaching.com, aren't we? I know... Um... Garmin a few years ago tried something but really failed at it to try and compete with it. Geocache.com is this worldwide database of geocachers uh, who who are sharing their caches with each other, aren't they? Yeah, it, it, it's a massive, I mean, it, it is a commercial entity, but it relies very much on a volunteer community to, to share the locations of interest, to add to the database, which is, is currently over 3 million all over the world. Uh, when I first started, there, there were less than a million. Brilliant. So we've done the first two lots of caches. Any other lots of caches that I know there are multiples? I suppose we just go through the main ones. What other caches are there that you would be looking for if you're on geocaching.com? Okay, so you have, uh, there's about 12 or 11 different icons that you can go for. The popular ones really are an earth cache. So this will take you to someone that's got a particular geological feature that you have to look at it might be you know some sandstone it might be a, a seam of granite or marble that runs through or quartz it might take you to uh, a, a spring it might take you to a stream and when you get to these places you've got to answer something about the geology of that place so it's educational mm -hmm. there's no geocache to find it's just whatever the geological feature is mm -hmm. you then might have a, a virtual cache yes. which will perhaps take you to 
I don't know, a monument, a particular place where you, you basically try and get a photograph of you with something in the background. So th those are some of the more popular ones. Earth and virtually are the other ones that are print. So if people want to get into geocaching, is it a case of just registering? There's free accounts and then we've got a paid account. Could you get going with just a free account on, on geocaching.com? Yeah, certainly. Many, many people start off with just the, the free account. Go to geocaching.com. You create an account. There's a few little bits to do to set up your profile, but that will give you access to a number of geocaches around your area, or in fact, anywhere in the world. And then if they pay for the premium account, what extra are they getting for that premium? It's not a massive, is it? it's not a massive amount of money per month. No, the, the premium membership is about £20 a year. Mm -hmm. So if you compare that to going to, uh, without mentioning any particular brand names of parks or resorts or attractions, if you go to a plastic brick land mm -hmm. near Windsor, <laughs> you might pay you know, £50 or something as a family to get in there for, for a day. Yes. Whereas you can spend £20 as a family and you've got a year's worth of geocaching anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And I know you keep saying family, but actually, this is what we see when we go to the mega, which is the big geocaching events, uh, which Sally has been uh, cancelled this year due to the COVID situation. But there are a lot of families go geocaching, aren't there? There's, there's, uh, there's, well, there's all you know, every walk of life are geocaches. There's, there's guys, there's ladies who do it. There's, there's, yeah, professionals. There's all sorts of people. There's lot of families um and yeah we have a pirate mania event the week weekend before and things which you know you all go and camp and it's it's it is it is every walk of life there's it's unbelievable really isn't it yeah it, it's pretty much the same as almost any other hobby or activity you know a lot of people go fishing a lot of people ride bicycles a lot of people like swimming it's just something that unites us no matter who we are where we are what accent we have or what haircut we've got or whatever our beliefs are it's something that unites us all and there's a massive sense of community within the geocaching it's all built on trust and respect we're all sharing what we can to help out everybody else <laughs> yeah it is and it is it is a, a i keep saying it's a proper community it is a really nice community where yeah everybody's is welcomed into it and uh, if you do get the chance to go any any geocache meetings um you know go along and you will be well received they're a really nice bunch of blokes if somebody comes into that occasionally that that little world you no know, you get so well received they're a really nice bunch of people like-minded people aren't they yeah very much very much so just moving on a little bit to the magazine because i say our cross our paths crossed because you used to run um a geocaching magazine um a little bit about how that started, when that started. I know you said you got onto the shelves of WH Smiths. I know you talked about potentially doing something, uh, a digital one going forward. Um, so, yeah, how, how did that all start? And, and that must have been a fascinating uh, journey in its own right. Oh, it's brilliant. It it was a way that really got me ingrained in, in the community, up, up and down the country. Yeah, there were things like, you know, forums and... Facebook, but it, it, it's there's nothing quite like turning the pages of a, a, a magazine. And as I say, I, I went to, to direct Smith to try and find a, a magazine. There were you know lots of magazines about any other kind of hobby and activity you could think of. 
but nothing for geocaching. So I started to, to create it. It, was, it started off as a little A5, 68-page sort of pocket fanzine type thing. And after a number of years, I, I got it in my head that it would be a good idea to, to go into WH Smith's. So the magazine went into a much glossier thing. I started you know, getting a lot more done with proofreading, employing graphic designers, and it, the cost just spiraled through the roof. It cost me thousands of pounds just to buy placement in, 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 yeah. in WH Smith's. Right. Uh, and then as a retailer, they expected quite a large percentage of, of that. So for a number of reasons, it, it didn't work. But it wasn't about the money. It was the fact that I sold out on the geocaching community, really. Mm-hmm. I tried, instead of keeping it to its roots of being a community magazine, I got caught up in the whole publishing world and thinking that I had to be in WH Smith, that it had to be A4, that it had to be shiny and glossy. And all the stress that I had when I started geocaching came back and it cost me financially, it cost me emotionally, and physically, mentally. I just thought, nah, mm-hmm. enough's enough. But I've still got many, many friends in the community, and they keep saying, we miss it. Yeah. It, it, it added so much value because it wasn't a, a glossy, sold-out, full of adverts. In fact, there were hardly ever any adverts in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to restart it it'll be a, a digital format and yeah I, I like to spread the word of geocaching i like to build the community as much as i can mm-hmm. there's a lot now coming as digital formats as you say you no know, speciality magazines and uh, they are very easy to to reach a, a large audience um, in that way aren't they and, and and as you say the key thing is 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 you then so it's not really your duty to do this but with the glossy magazine you did introduce people to geocaching that's the reality you did but i know nobody's paying you to do that but it was going out to that wider audience of like people who that looks interesting i'll pick it up i'll learn about geocaching and and get enthused by it where if it's a digital thing we've got to somehow or you've got to somehow make it just it doesn't just service the geocaches it brings in those new people as well which is easier said than done isn't it yeah but yeah, luckily there are things like uh, some podcasts such as this one that I can become a, a guest on as the geocaching guy. I've got you know YouTube, I've got Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I, I do a lot of live streaming. Mm-hmm. So there, there are still ways to get yeah. the word out there that geocaching is what it is and what it's all about. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I first started geocaching because of its nature was quite a secretive community mm-hmm. and I, i've kind of turned that on its head by being very vocal and very public about it mm-hmm. and, and th- th- there has been some resistance to me uh, opening the floodgates to new geocachers because part of it is understanding the etiquette the culture the community so that it stays the nice safe culture friendly family friendly that it is yeah yeah, cause, yeah. I say the etiquettes of geocaching is you no know, like see, yeah, don't leave anything. You shouldn't, don't disturb the landscape, and 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 that is the thing is you you even there's a big event in an area. Actually, you all just blend into it. You you just and then just come together, and the landscape is left the way it was when you 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 came into it. You no, know, a number of days before, it's a good ethos that's behind geocaching as well, isn't it? 
very much so very much so and you know that there, there are children now that are, are making friends with other geocaches children up and down the country so when we do have our, our rallies and events mega events things like pirate mania they've got friends that they know that they can go off and play with in a safe friendly environment Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. You know, we've actually covered an awful lot there. We've kind of covered the basic of geocaching. We've talked about the different caches. We've talked about your personal story, you know, geocaching and also the magazine and the future of what's holding there and also the gadget show and, and, and some of the other um, things you've been involved with. If anybody wants to know more, Adam, about what you do um, and you know, where can they find you on the internet um, if they want to find out more, we'll put some links in our show notes. So again, we'll link directly to these. Uh, but again, if verbally, have you got a Facebook page, Twitter, um, yeah. anything else that people get in touch with you? Just search for, for the geocachingguy.co.uk. That, that'll take you through to my website. There's not much on there, but... You can find me on Facebook. Again, search for The Geocaching Guy. Search for Adam Redshaw. If you go on YouTube, you can type in UK Cash Mag. And the spelling of cash is C-A-C-H-E. So it's, it's not cash in terms of money, C-A-S-H. It's money. Uh, it's storage. So Charlie Alpha, Charlie Hotel Echo. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Adam, for joining me on this month's GPS Training Podcast. And again, when when you get the uh, digital magazine up and running, we'll, we'll give you a regular slot on the, uh, and uh, you can talk all things geocache on a uh, maybe quarterly period or something like that throughout the year. Are you happy to come back? Um, I'm always happy to talk about geocaching. It's worth you happy for me to have me back <laughs> so that I'm not rabbiting on about Tupperware boxes and hollow trees. <laughs> You've passed your audition. Don't worry, Adam. We'll invite you back. So thank you very much for joining me on this month's GPS Training Podcast. Thank you very much. The next thing on this month's GPS Training Podcast is a look at the inaccuracies of some map types, especially when navigating and navigating them with an outdoor GPS uh, unit or a watch. This has come about, Ian, because we've had a few people, haven't we? Um, I think we've mentioned in past podcasts, it's this notification of when we're coming across a waypoint um, yeah, because people yeah. are, are wanting this notification to be... Is this yeah. more on the Garmin GPS units, Ian, or also on the sat maps or to a lesser yeah, extent? Yeah, it seems to be more on the Garmin GPSs that, um, you know, it's, I'm sure it's the same with you on every course as well that people after you've told them what these gps's should do yeah. ian my gps isn't beeping at me <laughs> so people don't know really in theory when we reach a waypoint so a waypoint is an imaginary flag in the ground we join these waypoints together to create a route and that's what we tend to navigate on a traditional way yeah. of, of direct routing um yeah. we should be getting an audible beep when we come across the waypoint but the issue isn't unless we go over the top of that waypoint um, we don't get that audible beep, do we? No, and as I explained to people, and I, I'm sure you do exactly the same, I explained this circle of accuracy of two people, which is about an, an imaginary 15 metres in mm-hmm. diameter. So unless you're within effectively seven and a half metres of the of the waypoint, on then your GPS is, is just not going to beep at you. It's not going to tell you that you're getting near to it. And that's what people have just got to remember. So even you know, if you, if you're even eight nine meters, it, it it you're too far away from it. So, mm-hmm. and I think it's a sort of I know it's a reassurance factor for everyone, but so they've 
people I think it's just understanding the concept that they have to be within this circle of accuracy mm-hmm. for the GPS to actually tell you that you're near the waypoint. So. And often we can't get within that circle of accuracy because of the inaccuracy of the Ordnance Survey map that we're navigating. And I think we've mentioned this in the past. I've seen a massive difference between, and I can't, I'm not going to explain this, for the accuracy of a 1 to 25,000 mapping compared to 1 to 50,000. If you plan a route on a 1 to 25,000, more than likely you will get that notification as you go over Cobb because you are more than likely going over the top of that waypoint. With a 1 to 50,000, um, for whatever reason, if you actually lay your track or where you've been walking on top of the 1 to 50,000, it's actually often not on top of the path yeah. or where the footpath is marked on the Ordnance Survey map where the yeah. 125,000 it is and and again I don't know that's just where the, the maps have been lined up for outdoor GPS unit because I can't understand how one map would be more accurate than another mm. which is mm. still showing where the footpath is yeah and and I think also John as I say when you're saying about how the map's been lined up and I'm <laughs> this is my sort of uneducated reasoning that because I know we've talked about creating custom maps and to do that you have to geo-reference an image and I guess what it is it it is how Garmin have you know that the whole process of scanning this this image and calibrating it it is done isn't it I've got absolutely no no idea but it's it's clearly going to be down to to those sorts of factors how they scan the image in the first place and in fact I've, i mean i don't know whether you've noticed but i've certainly noticed on the one to twenty-five thousand map cards the combined 151 25000 map card on the one to twenty-five thousand maps at certain places you can actually see like the scanned join how they've sort of like stipped um stitched the images together right i mean um, there's because it and the reason why I say that is because it's down where I do my course in Burley in the New Forest. There is a sort of like there's a really horrible join of clearly two images that they've put together. And but all I know that's a 125, but you know, there are all these factors that are going to involve that are going to be involved in how accurate the maps are. Yeah. So right. the other thing I've found as well is open source mapping, or let's say the topoactive mapping for Garmin mm. users, actually that is more accurate on the yeah. field. Now, sadly we don't get if it's footpath or a bridleway, there's lots of anomalies missing from yeah, that that sure. we do get on an yeah. ordinary survey map. Yeah. So I'm not saying we can survive only with it, but I've I've been showing a lot of people on course to let's plan it on our one to fifty thousand. If you've only got one to fifty thousand, plan it on our one to fifty thousand and then overlay it then on the on the open source mapping or topoactive mapping mm-hmm. your, and your unit mm-hmm. and then amend the route accordingly so you know you're on the right of way and then amend it and actually I do that personally you know and and then I, I more than likely will get a notification to go that waypoint because actually the open source mapping or the topo active mapping for the Garmin users is actually the the it's where the path is on the ground because that's come from satellite imagery it's actually more accurate yeah, than the way an yeah. ordnance survey was created with trigonometry and 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 which was fantastic at the times but we're coming along with our super gps units yeah. <laughs> super accurate it just and going oh proved it's not quite there it's a few meters out <laughs> well actually at the time yeah. they kind of were quite impressed even you where they were weren't they yeah yeah, um, yeah so yeah. now i've done that on my webinar and i had a few people afterwards combine the open source mapping from us and i said yeah. oh this is quite good now i think it's less of an issue if you've got the one twenty-five thousand mapping because i think the accuracy yes. is there 
there. Yeah. But if you've got yeah. just one to 50,000, do think about getting some open source mapping or topoactive mapping if you've got it and overlay it. And that's kind of a bit of a workaround. Again, if you've mm. got a topo pro map card from Garmin with 125,000, 1 to 50,000, I don't think you, you you don't really need it because I think the 125,000 is, is, is far superior. Yeah. Isn't it, really? yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is, is that, you know, as we're saying about the uh, topoactive mapping, the topoactive Europe mapping, uh, the mapping on the watches uh, is just, I think it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it really is just so good. It's so accurate. And it's, it, it, if anything, I think it's, yes, as we say, a lot of, no, not a lot of detail on it, mm -hmm. but but it is more accurate when it comes to the way, to where the footpaths are. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it is, it is. Um, and I think the other thing with sort of like all of this, John, is, is that, you know, with people saying, oh, I'm not getting to my waypoints and all the rest of it, and my GPS isn't beeping at me. You know, I think from my point of view, and, and, and again, I do this on my courses, I have the odd, I, I just, you know, I think when we talk about route planning, I'd certainly talk about this on my webinar, that when you're zoomed out and you planned your route, it looks, regardless of whether you're on 150, 125,000 map, it always looks really good. You zoom in, and if you don't, if you don't zoom in and amend your waypoints to at least get them near to where the map is saying there's a footpath, then and just transfer an un sort of like um, tidied up route to your GPS. Uh -huh. That's where your GPS is going to take you. Uh -huh. So at some level, the, there is the devil in the detail that if you don't actually start tidying your route up, when you're zoomed in, I'm mean, not spending forever, but just getting something that looks really wildly out uh -huh. back onto a path or away from a cliff edge or something, then it has to be worth it because otherwise the GPS will take you yeah. to that way where you've left it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, well, when you're navigating, is to use both the map page and the and the compass page as well. So actually, if your if your compass page is pointing away to your right hand side to a waypoint that frankly you know should be on this path actually just by jumping to that map page zooming in because you've got the map there you can see that actually it is a way to your right and actually if you carry yeah. on walking an extra few yards it will then automatically log on to the next waypoint and navigate yeah. you through yeah. so again it's just that confidence of oh i'm not on that page just flick between those two pages on a garmin gps unit and then it you'll understand what it's doing once you get to grips oh why is my arrow pointing there should i have turned right but i always say this people on the courses like to be driven that that the, we program them but don't don't take them for i don't know i don't think the correct word really is literally literally <laughs> so actually you know, if, if, you, if you're coming across the stone wall and your waypoint's there and you can see your path going off on the left hand side don't climb the stone wall so you get this ping you know you look at the map and go actually it's going to go off to the left i put my waypoint a little bit too far on and, yeah. and do it and it's 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 just no it's just this you know, if a car sat nav tells you down a one-way street, no, you don't drive down a one-way street. Because no. frankly, when the police pull you up, <laughs> and you think, yeah, well, yeah. my sat nav told me, well, that's no excuse really. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just to kind of yeah. take on board what it's telling you and then just like just decipher that and use your nows about what you can see on the map page, what the GPS is telling you, and then hopefully it will navigate you around that wall. Yeah, and it's interpreting what's what's around you, isn't yes. it? it? All the time. It's, it's not just like blindly... I mean, as I say to a few, you know, I said to a customer quite recently, because they were so concerned that their GPS wasn't beeping at every single waypoint, and he found a way to make it beep at every waypoint. And I was saying to him, at the end of the day, it's, to me, I mean, GPS is a great navigational aids for a lot of people. They say they buy them 
for reassurance so that they always know where they are. Mm -hmm. So there's all of that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, they are really fantastic, but just don't, just don't, as we said, use them literally. Yes. You've got to, God gave you two eyes, use them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. So just to summarise there, so just to be aware that when we're navigating, if you aren't getting the beep as you go over those waypoints, just be aware that those waypoints might be a little bit off uh, the track. That's often due to the um, inaccuracy of the audience survey map or the way, as Ian rightly says, it's been overlaid um, when, when we've created those maps. Um, as we're saying, the 1 to 25,000 and the top of active mapping and also the uh, open source mapping is a little bit more accurate than what we'll find on the 1 to 50,000. And again, when navigating, just keep jumping between that compass page and the map page and just understand what is exactly going on. As Ian rightly says, don't take things in literally. Uh, they're being driven by a human. And uh, yeah, just understand what you should be doing. And yeah, you should be joining us on a course, then we can go through this here in person on the weekend. <laughs> so if you want to know more about the different uh, map types that are available with any GPS, you need to go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk, click on GPS store, on the top and then you'll see the gps units with different map types down the left hand side you'll also see a category which is a mapping both garmin mapping and sat map mapping to look at the different map options that's available Next thing on this month's GPS training podcast is Ian's FAQs, the frequently asked questions Ian's been asked while supporting our customers over the past month. So Ian, the first Garmin FAQs is how do I back up my bird's eye mapping? Just before you answer that question, people don't know what bird's eye mapping is. Bird's eye mapping is a way we can download, usually 125,000 with a Garmin, we can download um, overseas mapping, etc., etc. but mostly we'll be using it to download 125,000. You can get a voucher to do this um, on our website now, actually, for £85 if you want to download a uh, about 25,000 square kilometres of 1 to 25,000 mapping. So, Ian, you've downloaded this mapping. You've got it in Garmin Basecamp. Yep. How do we back up this mapping? Okay, so, um, <clears throat> as I say, we um, I think you're going to put the notes on the... Uh, when you when we put the podcast live, John, but so, you know, I don't think, because it's sort of like quite a, you know, it's quite a little procedure, this, but in essence, what it is, is that we, um, firstly, when people download from the Garmin server, they've got options of downloading to the GPS device or the computer and GPS. And firstly, they really do need to make sure, I think it, although I think nowadays it does like virtually create its own folder as an auto, you know, as part of the download the first time, but the thing to do is to make sure that you have a folder somewhere in Basecamp. And if the maps aren't in Basecamp, just transfer them from the GPS to back into Basecamp. And uh, that's just using the send option or drag and drop in if you've uh, send on a Windows PC. Um, or a uh, drag, well, dragging and dropping uh, on the if you've got a Mac, so that sort of like can be then saved in Basecamp. But then there is also the problem that should your hard disk uh, on your computer go, mm -hmm. then the maps have gone on um, from your computer as well. So what I do know a lot of people do is is that they can they transfer them. They can you can save it on a USB stick or external hard drive or whatever you want to say save them on um, and the way to do it is that you can't um, copy and paste the maps effectively from base camp onto the uh, 
hard disk or USB stick. What you need to do is that effectively you're using your GPS as the sort of like halfway point in all of this. Then you go in, so you then go into the find or the uh, Windows File Explorer, find the internal storage uh, folder of your Garmin, and there's a folder in there that says custom maps, and in there all your custom maps will be um, displayed, and uh, you can then copy and paste them from that onto an, the external drive or USB stick, but they become totally useless uh -huh. in effect, so you can't use them outside, or, you know, or hand them on to your friend or whatever and say, here are some ordinate survey maps. But should worst case scenario happen where the hard disk of your uh, computer go, then you've still got these maps that you can then bring back in again using your GPS as the sort of like the halfway house. So you would copy and paste them from the external hard drive back into the custom map. Um, sorry, not custom map, talk, think about something else. The bird's eye mapping. Um, uh, folder and then from there um, back onto your computer. So you're using the GPS all the time as the um, halfway house, ba basically. So, and it is worth doing because you know when you've got if a lot of people they buy these new the new twenty five thousand square kilometer downloads. It's a, it's a lot of maps, a lot of time, and a lot of money to lose. So oh. yeah, it is. But the only thing I would say is everyone, please be careful if you do it. Just yeah. think. Just think what you're doing, um, because you don't want to be starting deleting or copying, pasting the wrong bits out of uh -huh. your Garmin internal storage. That's uh -huh. the only. That's the only thing. And there's a top tip for this in the online resource scene, isn't there? I think taking you through this process is there. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there is. Yeah. So the, yeah. the GPS yes. training yeah. uh, online resource, GPSTraining.co.uk. Click on online resource at the top, then choose Garmin. A base camp and then you'll choose whether you're a PC or a Mac user and down at the bottom you see some top tips there that we've put in place and there's actually a little video uh, for both PC in both PC users and Mac users on how to back up uh, that bird's eye mapping yeah so for sat map users um, sat map users can I throw in my little top tip here in I, I don't know if you know Go this on. this is my top tip for this week had a customer oh you don't know this because you dealt a little bit with this customer. The customer who had the problems knocking his uh, his GPS onto the Wi-Fi. Oh, I saw the emails about. Customer it, had customer had problems logging onto a Wi-Fi. He actually is with Manx Telecom in the Isle of Man, and and they give their customers a, a technical uh, router. And he had problems logging on. So went to his daughter's house. Also had problems logging on. I actually uh, rolled it back uh, to a previous version of um, the beta software and it logged on without any problems. And then I see yesterday, we're recording this on, what day is it, Thursday today, so I don't even know what yeah. day it is. Um, I, I, I had a correspondence with SatMap yesterday to say I've got got this sorted. They've actually brought out a new beta software which has rectified the problem. There is, there is. Yeah, so, 70, yeah, a new, 73 or 75 a new beta software has come out, uh, which <laughs> sorts that problem. I loaded it onto hours in the office. We actually managed to uh, find a similar router to test it on for that customer, and uh, that logs on okay. So, um, if people have had problems logging their sat maps onto it, uh, download the latest beta software, and that should rectify that problem. It was just that last version. 
uh, for whatever reason. So um, it was an interesting one to uh, work through. I was, <clears throat> I was quite proud of myself, actually. And, and thanks, I must say, massive thanks to SatMap because actually... They are so good, aren't they? Yes, they are so, so good. good. I know you were carbon copying those emails. Yeah. As I think half of SatMap was <laughs> how many people were carbon copied in. Um, yeah. And uh, I couldn't believe it when I emailed that and they came out, oh, try this new one. And I tried it, I went, that's brilliant. So thanks, SatMap, yeah. for sorting that out for our customers. And uh, yeah, it went wheeled this way back to Kurt Michael in the Alaman, and uh, hopefully we've got a happy customer over there. So Good. back to your FAQs after I stole the glory there with Tom my Marks, um, John, no, no, with, no, with, John, Tom Marks, <laughs> Tom Marks, John doing some uh, tech tech work for once, <laughs> which is a rarity. I thought I was going to just no, tell the world John, about it. It's not. It. It's not. Come on. <laughs> oh, it is. It's only because the unit was sent here rather than to Ian. You see, he's thought, oh, I've got to sort this out. You know? <laughs> So Active 20, uh, draining the batteries really quick. Now, Active 20's got this phenomenal battery on it, hasn't it, Ian? Yes. So um, yeah, yeah, we are yeah. potentially, it, it should be getting a good day's walking out. Yeah. Shouldn't that's that's yeah, really what absolutely. we should be getting on. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. common causes of battery drain are? Well, um, <laughs> out-of-date software. One of the, and, and that, is a, um, that is a very common cause. Um, if you've put a, if you created a route or you've got stored track or a POI sitting in their point of interest, sitting in the GPS in the internal storage, um, it can be corrupt. So even uh, when you shut the GPS down, when you've powered it off, it still can be wanting to try and do something with it. So uh, the advice from SatMap is very much to uh, delete all your everything on the internal storage, and that will probably cure it. Um, and the other one that again was was um, we finally got I finally got to the bottom with another customer about a week ago, which yeah he's absolutely delighted, is that uh, with the Active Twenties, uh, because you can see the internal storage of the Active Twenties on your computer, what had, you can go in effectively you can go into the root folder or you can go to any well, you can go to the internal storage. And you can create your own folders, if you like, uh -huh. because there's nothing stopping you doing that, and you can. And so what had happened was was that the customer, understandably, so he'd um, created some subfolders within his root folder to nicely file all his cycle rides, walks, and all the rest of it, and organize it that way. But what he was finding was was that when he powered his GPS off, it was remaining hot, uh -huh. and it drained the battery. So when we were talking about it, I said to him, I said, oh, have you got any sort of like, have you got many routes or anything like that? And he said, no, no, no. He said, but then actually um, I have created these subfolders on the internal storage. Uh -huh. So I got him to delete these subfolders within the internal storage and just leave everything sitting in his root folder. So uh -huh. he didn't delete the routes or anything. He, he, he just got rid of these subfolders and it was fine. Uh -huh. So basically I know that when people buy a, uh, Active 20, quite often the er initial root internal folder is not created on the in, in the internal storage. Right. So you can link it up to your, a computer and create it yourself. Mm -hmm. So so you could then put your roots into it. But afterwards, please don't create any more folders mm -hmm. because it will. You know, it, I suppose in 
in, in a different way, it's another corrupt kind of file for the GPS, like, like SatMapper saying, you know, it could be a corrupt route or track, where also you're creating something that the GPS just doesn't recognise mm -hmm. and doesn't want to work to. That's the key thing with any GPS unit, is these corrupt GPX files. So I, last week I also had another customer who sent his eTrix 25 back and it was crashing on startup. And when I split into computer, there was GPX files everywhere, and literally everywhere you know not in the oh. correct folder once yeah. i deleted those it worked great yeah so actually yeah. it's this yeah. thing i know we've discussed past in past podcasts actually do you know what when you've done that walk why do we need to leave that gpx file on yeah. our gps yeah. whether it's a garmin or sat map we need to get that back off and just have on your three or four walks that you're going to do yeah. over the next weekend or something like Absolutely, that don't yeah. We? Yeah. so actually yeah. kind of keep that tidy and actually if you've put a gpx file on and your gps is starting to crash um, that kind of tells you that <laughs> something's not right with it, isn't there's, it? Really, there's something, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so it's not crashing, or or it's overheating. Yes. And and I and I think if if anything, provided your, <laughs> and I the reason I'm laughing, it John is because um, I know you're well aware of. Um, I was going to be doing some one-to-one -one training with a with a customer with a Active Twenty. And the GPS was sort of like the software was about two years out of date. I mean, it was so out of date. But that's no no fault of the customer. It's the fault of where it was purchased from. I hasten to add, not <laughs> GPS training. <laughs> so it definitely wasn't from us. But the thing that but the thing is, so unless your software is horribly out of date, then yes, it can be a cause. But it seems that if you've got a corrupt GPX file or you've created additional folders somewhere within mm -hmm. the Active 20, they're going to be m more of a problem mm -hmm. to battery drain and overheating than that you're two weeks out of date with a um, software update. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you know, but I say, but I do, I do stress this very out of date GPS was not bought from GPS training. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's a key thing to understand. That is the key. Th that's the key message there. But no, so yeah, so it's just to. Um, Delete any uh, routes, tracks, points of interest, anything additional folders yeah. that should sort out any problems. Um, yeah. And then the other thing you said was up to keep the software up to date. So again, yeah. best way to do that is via SatSync, isn't it? By just yeah. going to the help in SatSync yeah. and then yeah. update the latest software. And then if, if everything that doesn't solve anything, a really a hard reset or a master reset is yeah. is, is often the way to go, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. How do yes. we do that, Ian? Are we going to tell people how to do that? Uh, or are we not? Because we don't want to. Oh, it's, very, it's very quick, John. Basically, oh. you, pre the, the, it's the, you press the power button for, for 20 seconds, keep it powered, uh, pressed down for 20 seconds, let it turn off, and then you just turn the, it back on again, holding the power button for three seconds. And that can also sort the power situation out as well so brilliant yep. so that's your summary of um yeah of your satmap top tip which is your yeah. batteries draining some things to think about and hopefully work through next thing is a top tip for wearables or gps watches really so a uh, question is how do i move maps around and zoom in and zoom out on the map page a lot of people even struggle to find the maps on a uh, gps on a gps watch i don't know customer had his watch for quite a while so how do i get these maps on it <laughs> um again if you're navigating a route or you're recording it, it it automatically comes up but if you just want to view the maps you can often just press the enter button top right and then scroll down after under all your activity there's one that takes you it's into the maps isn't map. it yeah if you're, if you're if you're not recording your activity you can still access those maps so yeah. How um, how do we uh, move in, zoom in and out, and move around on that map page, Ian? So um, when you're, 
I mean, I must say, John, before we uh, go through this, I cannot believe over the last month because of, I know we've talked about it in previous podcasts about the the uh, wearable sales and how people are buying so many watches mm-hmm. now because of what's been going on over the last few few months. It's really nice to see that people are, are really wanting to go out and really use them. Yeah. And I must say that I have spent probably as, as much time throughout last month uh, dealing with little queries on wearables than I have on GPSs. And it's, but it's great. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's really good to see that the products are really out there and, and, you know, so, so really so the, popular. The watch really sales good. have been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And actually, <laughs> I don't know if this is really good. Our bookkeeper was in yesterday and she going, wow, we've got a hell of a lot of stock on, on the shelves. I said, the, the problem for us as a business is we said, oh, hold out, no, eight GPS units. And that was brilliant. And then we'd hold just one or two of our watches because we're selling so yeah. many watches now. We're now yeah. holding the full range of watches in different colours on instincts yeah. and all this. Yeah. So suddenly our stock level, it was carrying twice as much stock because yeah. instead of just restocking back to our couple of phoenixes, we, when we're buying them, we're buying six or eight of them, and they're yeah. selling. You know, we can sell. You no, know, we can sell th- that that amount of watches in a weekend. And um, yeah. so it's 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 amazing how um, how the the watch sales have increased so much, and. The nice thing is, is you're seeing that trickle coming through to the support. It's actually a lot of the customers buying from GPS trains, they get the online resource, online training, but they're not coming with um, the way they're working. But I know you've had some golf questions on the golf yes. things. <laughs> it's great. I've been learning things yeah. about golf. <laughs> what's, this, what's this information giving me when I'm out on the golf course, etc.? And yeah. it's really nice that we're feeling we're giving that same um, skill level to the people are buying their watches from GPS Absolutely, training yeah. as yeah. they were when they were buying their handhelds yeah. and therefore yeah. these people are now getting 95% out of their watches rather than just buying a watch from wherever and getting 50-60% out of it because actually I don't really understand how to use it. Which even is that, even that probably <laughs> because so, there's so much in such a small unit isn't there really yeah. um, but anyway so right. coming, back onto the the question. <laughs> coming back onto the question so when you're on your map screen um the middle uh left button the menu button if you press and hold that button then the very top option says pan and zoom pan mm-hmm. stroke zoom and then you it's the top uh top right top right button the select button and oh, didn't looks if I haven't on the notes, haven't done that very well, have I? For the um, bullet points, but there we go. That's the minor detail. Anyway, so um, yeah, so you press the select button, then you the first options on the left hand side that come on the screen are the plus and the minus. Mm-hmm. So you then use the middle left and bottom left buttons to zoom in and out where the plus and minus signs uh, appear. Then to go up and down, you press the select button again, top right, and then again you use the middle left and bottom left to go left and right and then the same process again for for going um uh so i said up and down didn't i so up and down left and right in and out zoom in and out it's the select button and then you use the two left hand uh buttons middle and the bottom left to zoom in and out or up and down left and right brilliant and that's a nice way that you can navigate around that map just yeah. when you're out walking this is when you're not recording yeah. well i suppose when you're recording a walk or not recording a walk you just want to see exactly where you are on your gps watch yeah yeah 
Very good. If you want to know more about how to use your outdoor GPS watch or, or, or handheld unit, just go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk. Click on online resource on the top menu bar, and then you'll just click on courses. You see the various courses there. You'll see the online resource is split into two. So if you bought a GPS watch from us, you get access to the GPS watch courses. If you bought a GPS unit from us, you get access to the GPS unit courses. Uh, the idea there is you don't go and buy a unit from us, then go and buy a watch from elsewhere and get the, uh, the videos. So, uh, yeah, have a look in the online resource and don't forget if you buy that unit from ourselves uh, we support that or that watch from ourselves will support that and give you the technical knowledge that you're hearing on the podcast and finally many thanks for listening to this month's gps training podcast if there's anything you would like us to feature in future podcasts please do get in touch also please do get in touch if you're thinking if you're thinking about buying either a new gps unit or an outdoor gps watch Please do look at both our physical GPS training courses and also our webinars. Just go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk and click on GPS training courses on the top menu bar. Please do tell your friends about the GPS training podcast and encourage them to subscribe on whichever platform they are using. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you can leave us a snazzy review, that is always appreciated. And many thanks to Adam, who joined us earlier on the pre-record, and Ian for joining me on this month's GPS Train Post. Thank you, Ian, for joining me. You're welcome, John, and um, have, a good, uh, have a good day as well. Yeah, have you a good too. Day. Cheers, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation.